What is that? It's a compass. What does it do? It points north, John. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. That's right, we're back with season five of Lost. How do you feel, Tessa? This season already has big Moons Haunted energy. Moons Haunted. Moons Haunted. Let's go. All right. So this week we are talking about the two-part premiere of season five, Because You Left and The Lie. And here's what we're going to do. Instead of talking about each episode and trying to take different pieces of it, I just unwrapped the entire premiere, put it in chronological order. So we are going to get weird with this weird season of Lost before everything goes off the rails and it becomes awful. That's right. You heard me say it. Awful. J.J. Abrams, king of the beginnings of shows and movies. Is this like how Brian Fuller is the king of shows that will never happen? Well, he's also the king of pilots and the king of getting bored in the second season. Right, exactly. Except for Hannibal. Well, I mean, there always has to be an exception to the rule. But also, just to be clear, Brian Fuller is not queer baiting you. (laughs) He said that. He said he's not queer baiting you. I read the quote. I don't know if he winked when he said it. Hard to know. But you heard it here first. Hannibal is not a queer baiting show. Despite the presence of Gillian Anderson. (laughs) I never got that far in the show, so I don't know. Okay. We start our journey in the year of our Lord, 1954, where Sawyer nicknames are back. Neil is Frogert. Oh, so we confirmed it is 1954. I mean, I knew it was like, I'm confirming. Back in time. I am okay. confirming it for you. Okay. I, awesome. There are things that. So happen- it isn't pre World War II. I thought maybe that this yeah. was like one of those during World War II situations. So it's Korea, right? Well, there are a couple of out of time things that aren't confirmed at this point. This is one of them, and it's the only one I'll pretty much give you. You could see it that way. You could see it as Korean War, but we also know the story of. Because so much of the quote-unquote Pacific theater happened in these islands between Japan and Hawaii, say, that we know that there were places, pockets that didn't find out the war was over for a while. And my theory on this, as somebody who doesn't remember how this plays out at all, is that this is a World War II era discovery that has continued to be investigated. I mean, that would make sense. It's kind of like It really how... doesn't matter whether it's your or mine, though, but that's what's happening. Right. It's kind of like how in the new Godzilla movies, how like the weird framing that they never actually went into is that they discovered Godzilla in the 50s as the result of this nuclear testing and like they've known about him for a long time, even though the public hasn't. Is that kind of the vibe you're going with? Sure. Yeah. Islands, Pacific Ocean, World War II era, nuclear. I mean, it all tracks, right? Yeah, it makes sense. What if Godzilla was in this show? What if this was all an origin story for Godzilla? That would have been a better ending for this show than <laughs> the one they came up with. Because, because, and, and here's the thing. Let's just get this clear off the bat. We haven't talked about it in a while. Everybody thinks I'm wrong. I'm not. Here's why. Notice, in this season, especially in these first two episodes, are we talking about faith or science? Who knows? No. It's the age-old question. No, we are talking about science. You, yeah, you but it's going to go back. It's ju- going to walk back, though. Exactly. And that's stupid. Like, this show kind of is like a pendulum swinging between faith and science. Right now, we're on the science side because a lot of it is in the wheelhouse of Daniel Faraday. I mean, he's the one who knows the most about it, but there's also indication by the end of the second episode, I won't get into it right now, but there's indication that we're about, that the that Ben and his troop are still very much on the faith side. Right. In the previous week, we have discovered a little bit more about Damon Lindelof, one of the showrunners for this very show, 
that this very podcast is dedicated to, that this very host has been hurt by. And I know this is ironic because we're going to talk about Star Wars, the piece of pop culture that the most vociferous been hurt by pop culture people talk about. So yeah, I recognize the irony. We found out this week that Damon Lindelof does indeed have a Star Wars project in development. It takes place after the travesty that is Episode Nine, and it may or may not involve plot threads from the travesty that is Episode Nine. And so I've read a couple of things this week that basically talk about how I feel about Lost as it is applied to The Force Awakens, which we'll be talking about soon. But basically what J.J. Abrams did is the same thing that he did in Lost, the same thing that he did in Alias, which you haven't seen yet, which is the puzzle box. And the problem with the puzzle box in Lost is the same problem with the puzzle box in The Force Awakens. You just decided not to. How many, you remember? Do you remember? You remember the vision and the voices in Force Awakens? How'd that all turn out? I'll wait. That's what happens in Lost. So whether or not it's about science or faith, to me, is beside the point. You didn't follow through. Well, see, I, yes, I can agree insofar as I know, which is not very much, that perhaps Abrams does not stick landings as well as he should have. But for me, in the middle of this journey that is lost, it is an interesting conversation to have, whether or not it pulls through as well as it should. And I'll point out here that Back to the Future, as a trilogy, starts off with science and ends with the interior, the personal, the philosophical. Doc pretty much tells Marty at the end of the trilogy that time travel's a red herring. It's about the choices that you make and who you decide to be. I'm sorry that Lost couldn't manage to do something with the nuance and success of Robert Zemeckis, king of nuance, Force Gump. But we get the Dharma Initiative back. We do. Moving on. Daniel Faraday has a sextant. And he isn't afraid to use it. That sounds so dirty. Like, did we go pornographic with Lost? (laughs) It's time travel shenanigans, y'all. We're doing it. It's Daniel Faraday's time to shine. He's been training for this moment. Well, since he first met Desmond. Daniel Faraday's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that spans several decades. Is it, though? He's, like, way too excited for it to be I mean, a no-good, terrible, I bad mean, day. It's like it's a lot like Doc Brown in Back to the Future 2. Oh, I'm time-traveling. Oh, no, this is terrible. I have made a terrible mistake. Because remember, like, five minutes into time travel, the thing that he spent 30 years trying to invent, he's like, oh, no, this was bad. I think Daniel Faraday's kind of in that neighborhood. Well, part of it's because he has to deal with Sawyer and Juliet, like, yelling at him every five minutes about it. Speaking of, Juliet Juliet and Sawyer. I mean, by the way, I think Sawyer is doing his best diehard. Get that man some shoes. Some shoes and a shirt. I like that he's complaining about it, too. He's like, is this your shirt? And uh, What's his name? Frogert. Frogert. And Frogert is like, yeah, that's my shirt. And he's like, well, it's not now. Yep, that's right. Like, poor Sawyer. He's got to go through the jungle with, like, barely any clothes. He just is trying to wrap his head around time travel as a concept. He's the de facto leader now, despite the fact that he doesn't know what's going on. Like, he just lost Kate. And I, like, and, and I gotta it's a say, lot. It's a lot. I gotta say, I don't know if people who aren't from the American South have ever been swimming in jeans, but I'm here to tell you, not great. Oh, we've seen this before, though. He's definitely been swimming in jeans before. Oh, no, I know, and he's a pro at it. Oh, but yeah. I'm, but I'm telling you, even under the best of circumstances, it is far from ideal. Oh, and I have to say, there's this moment where he gets a thorn in his foot, and like, okay, I didn't need to see that in order to know that it happened. All I'm saying is I am waiting for Sawyer to say, no bullets, Hans. Get that man some shoes. Okay. All right. Daniel. You know, I, I will say the one thing that bothers me about Daniel is that that you need to explain, dude. You can't just say, trust me. 
Yeah, this bothers me in a lot of science fiction, weird science fiction, I should say, like this. You've read The Maze Runner, right? Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, so the thing that really bothers me about The Maze Runner is that literally no one will explain to her what's going on for the first half of the book. And I understand that that's a literary choice in order to draw out the explication. So they're not just like giving you 30 pages of this is what's going on. But really, in a situation like this, if somebody wakes up and they're in a maze and they're the first girl who's ever been in this maze with a bunch of guys... When she asks what the fuck is going on, they would have to explain all of what's going on to her. It doesn't make sense for them to be like, we'll answer your questions later. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense. And to me, it makes sense here because Daniel's an awkward person who doesn't know how to talk to other people. But Swigger and Juliet need to grab him, sit him down and say, okay, like, use your big boy words. Explain what's going on besides saying time travel and I can't tell you much. Because we're taking this episode chronologically, this is not the first time that Daniel tries to explain. Because the important thing is we have two chronologies here. And this is the Back to the Future explanation of time travel. Time does advance linearly. So we're going to talk about 1954 and then we'll jump to 1977. And then we'll go forward from there, ending up with blood and ketchup, right? We'll get there. But for Daniel, Juliet, Sawyer, Frogert, etc., time, un- time is not spinning the same way. Not It's still moving linearly forward, but in a different way than quote-unquote time itself. So this is not the first time that Daniel's tried to explain But the first time chronologically, in terms of years passing, the first time, from a certain point of view, warming up for Star Wars, Daniel explains that they can't leave the island. Because that's Juliet's bright idea, right? Let's just take it and go. Let's take the boat and go. But can't because you're unstuck in time, so you can't leave the bubble. I feel like it would be like jumping off of a merry-go-round going full speed. Like... What is this, Hitchcock test? No, I'm just saying like you would, in my mind, when he said that, all I could think of is like, you're just going to like jump out of a bubble of moving time. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Like something horrible. Is the island Lian Yu? I mean, I think Lian Yu is the island. Wouldn't it be funny if that was the headcanon that Lian Yu is actually this island? Like, it's just a different timeline. It makes sense to me. Arrow would make so much more sense. If this was actually yes. connected to the Lost Universe? Yes. And as we know, Emerson is in both. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, think about it. That's, That's right. That's true. Uh-huh. Man, they wasted him in the Arrowverse. Yeah, they now, did. And I know that now because I've seen him in Lost and Evil, which he's excellent in. I I have to say, though, that I do enjoy that Lost knows how to introduce the most annoying character ever ever and then immediately kill him with fire arrows like I I appreciated that it was a good bit especially with the slightly cheesy but ultimately excellent line read of we can't even make fire right before that he gets shot with a fire arrow Dr. Wizard like aren't you hey Dr. Wizard aren't you glad you know who Mr. Wizard is now yes I am that That was that was perfect timing you're welcome I mean, dude, you just found out you were untethered in time and you're going to start complaining about stuff and like going like we're all going to die. Like, how is that going to help anybody? Like, why don't you sit down and help Bernard try to actually do something instead of just being like, well, I can't have the stuff that I'm used to because we're untethered in time. You heard it here first. If you are ever unstuck in time, Tessa is the person you want to be with because... I'll try to help you. I'll try to figure it out. For the first time in her life, she will be extremely level-headed and not flail around at all. Hey, I'm good in a crisis. I am not good in not a crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's time for Tessa has a theory. Who are Jones, Mattingly, and Cunningham do they want to cut off Juliet's hand? Well, first of all, they're British. Ah, well, that explains the hand cutting off part. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if Lazi actually listens to this. Sorry to our British fans. 
Except Lazi. Except Lazi. Lazi, we're not sorry. <laughs> I, I feel like the reason I thought this was World War II is because British soldiers on a Pacific island feels very World War II to me. But like you said, it could be World War II related. <laughs> like you said, it could be World War II related, but like in some, they're still investigating it or they're lost on this island or they're stuck on this island in some sort of way. Actually, considering how they react to them, I kind of feel like maybe they're stuck on the island. Like they they parachuted there and couldn't get off or something. But like... They are clearly very suspicious of outsiders, and their first reaction is to try to cut off Juliet's hand. And then they say, we'll cut off her other hand if you don't talk to us, but the first one is just so you know we're serious. Like, this very much feels like a British colonialism reaction to (laughs) quote-unquote natives of an island, right? Especially if they've actually met people who live on this island, which as we know is quite possible that there are people on this island at this point. There are people on this island. In fact, oh, look, it's John Locke. The J Squad, Um. Juliet, John, and James. By the way, is anyone else shipping Juliet and Sawyer? No, that's just you. No, seriously. I actually kind of think they're a better couple than Kate and Sawyer. Like, I'm just saying, watch the beginning of this episode. Watch how they interact with each other. Kind of shipping it. He's better for her than Jack is. Sawyer and Kate. No, I don't buy it. OTP. I don't buy it. You need to stop. I don't buy it. Juliet and Sawyer are my favorite characters now. Well, that's, all in. Fi- that's fine. I'm all in until one of them makes me mad at them. <laughs> Next week on Tessa Watches Lost. <laughs> Tessa will be in a fight with at least one of these two characters. I'm just saying that I think she is a better influence on him than Kate is. And I think that he would be less judgy of her than Jack is. So we're going to leave 1954. I'm sure we'll come back to it. Unless we don't. Who knows? But let's go to 1977, which is actually where the season begins. Hey, look. It's Pierre Chang, the guy in the videos. And he's recording the videos. And he has a baby that he stayed up all night with. That's right. I, I really actually have always wanted to know this guy's like secret personal life. So I'm really glad we're going with it. Like I was like, yes, I want this guy to be a character. I want to know about him. He's a good father. He stays up with his baby instead of making his wife do it. And he listens to records. One might, if they weren't interested in those things, one might be much more excited by what happens next, which is... Chang is interrupted and taken to a site where several drill bits have been broken. And if your lost radar isn't going haywire right now, it will be once you see the sonar image of the donkey wheel. (laughs) What is it with this island and magnets? Dr. Chang says under no circumstances should explosives be used because it will damage this area, and this is the area that will give them the ability to gasp, manipulate time. Could you imagine if they had tried to blow up this area? Like, there'd be like a permanent hole in time at this place. Like, I feel like this was the right call. Don't blow up the weird magnet place. Words truly (laughs) to live by. (laughs) I guess it does work, though. Because, oh, look. Look who it is, disguised as a Dharma initiative worker named Joe. It's Daniel. Hey, what if Daniel Faraday was the new doctor? Like this this little I mean, cold open that we get in the first episode, it really feels like a Doctor Who cold open in yep. a lot of ways. Like something's happening and then you see the doctor like, and then we have the, the credits. You know, like that's kind of what it felt right. like to me. Okay. So say goodbye to 1977, a time we'll probably also come back to. I mean, we have to. We got to know what happened. Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Now we're going to skip to a time that is basically between 2001 and 2004. Daniel's first explanation, we're inside the radius. The island's radius. Whatever radius of this funky island and its time and place shifting thing, as long as they're on it, or... Touching it, which is how the raft gets there, right? They are moving around in time with the island. As uh, 
when when they decide, okay, we're going to go back to camp, Daniel says, your camp isn't gone. It just hasn't been built yet. And then he explains, it's like a record time and it's skipping. It's interesting that they're the only ones who are traveling in time. Like the island is somehow making them as like organic human beings and a dog because Vincent is there. Vincent is an important part of the group, as always. Vincent is the true hero of this story. He is. He is. It's interesting that they're traveling through time. Or are they traveling through time? Or is the island traveling through time and they're standing still? Like, it's it's very interesting that they seem to be on separate tracks. So that I mean, I think that really is an interesting thing to think about. You know, Ben is able to manipulate the donkey wheel. He's transferred space and maybe time. Hard to know. Hard to know indeed. But the island travels through space and time. And the people travel through space and time too. Although arguably they don't travel through space and time. The island does. It's kind of like on a train. Are uh, On a train that's moving 60 miles per hour. Are you moving 60 miles per hour or are you standing still? Yeah, I think that's a really good question to ask about this because they're in the same place. Because remember, Daniel is like, we have to go. We have to go find a stationary object so we know what when it is. Right. And so they go try to find the hatch to figure out if it had been blown up yet or not. Right. So meanwhile, and this is how we know that there are multiple different flashes in time other than the flashback to the 50s. There are multiple flashes that occur within this time period because we go to John Locke, who is watching the plane, the plane that has crashed, that Boone dies from investigating. Right. We see John see that plane crash, but when he gets to the plane crash, time has already flashed again, and it is plane not where it crashed but where it fell after Boone investigated weird huh right yeah the other thing I think is really interesting here and this this actually you reminded me of it by talking about the plane because at first I was like is John gonna try to like stop like is John gonna try to do something about the plane so Boone doesn't die because I know that John feels very responsible for that but then when I try to remember how it came up, I think Sawyer said something about like, well, we should go do this then if we're traveling in time. And Desmond says, no, like you don't get it. Like you cannot do anything that would change time. Like we are on this ride, but we can't change what will happen. So like it is a very linear, very fixed idea of time. Yes. And in fact, before we even get to that, we hear it in a different way from everybody's favorite eyeliner king, Richard. Richard! I also want to know about this guy's inner life. Yeah. Well, he's the one who gives John the compass and has to explain to John Locke, master of the wilderness, what a compass does. And to fix his leg after he was shot by Ethan. Right. So Richard gives Locke a very important message. Richard gives Locke a very important mission, but tells him... The next time they see each other, Richard will have no idea who Locke is because Richard is traveling chronologically through time. Locke is traveling chronologically on his own in a different sense. And then, as you said, we cut to Faraday explaining this very idea to Sawyer, who is unhappy about it and everything else. It's very 112263. It's very 112263 where it's like he's trying to change time, but time is like actively resisting being changed. Like right. I mean in that he obviously eventually does change it through lots and lots of effort and many many tries, but it is interesting that this is like a linear version. I've been reading a lot of time travel stuff lately and 
in Thief of Time, they're very much like we thought time was a river where you can go up and down. And then we found out it's more like a lake where you can go sideways, too. And then we found out it was more like a big ball of water. You could like move in and out of it like that. This is not that. That is it is not a quantum view of time. Right. And one of humanity's best attributes, if I might be so bold, is to always try to understand the thing that we can't understand. That's progress. That's science. Which is, in this case, opposition in opposition to faith. Which is, don't bother try to understand it. Just believe that somebody else has got your back. And have faith in that person or God or whatever that has your back. Which is very... Well, it's a shorthand. We Not use science. it to explain things we don't understand. Right. I mean, it's why people came up with the idea of religion in the first place. Like, yes. oh, thunderstorms are scary. They must be caused by someone doing scary things. Which is interesting because that's a very, what we would call scientific thing, trying to, you know, and so a lot of religious worship becomes hypothesis testing, the underpinnings of science. In some ways, you could say that science does come from that early religion, and then they very much branch off. But I would like to also point out that there is a third way to do things now, which is to claim that the knowable is unknowable. So, like, all of this in reverse. Like, science has proven a lot of things about DNA and chromosomes, right? It's proven that, you know, how we perceive men and women is not as linked to chromosomes as you might want to think which you learn in high school biology, you might know that DNA and chromosomes show no, 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 infinitesimal if any, but basically no variation between people of different colors. Except some people are trying to argue that none of those things are true. They're trying to say the things we know, we don't know. It's not science or faith. It's just stupidity. Right. Well, it's bigotry. It's twisting Right. It's using whatever you can to support your own view of the facts, which is what I teach my students to look for when it comes to evaluating sources for bias. And for better or for worse, what loss does is chooses not to accept that as a reality. It wasn't as big of a deal as it is now, but what lost is trying to do is pit these understandings of science and faith against each other by saying these are the two ways that we have. And they overlap in some ways that they overlap in some ways. There's not really like a hard dividing line between the two, like um, whether you're religious or not, like faith can also mean other things besides religion. So it, it does make sense to me. In some ways, in some ways, Charles Widmore could be like the third line here, you know, representing capitalism. Yes, he is clearly capitalism. uh, Right. And I mean, I think that you can kind of link this kind of trying to unknow the knowable to capitalism. It is an oppositional force to basic humanity, which cannot always agree with itself between science and faith. But that's what makes Widmore the true villain, because he's not interested in this discussion. He's interested in himself at his own cost, at any cost. I do have a question for you about the science, though, of this time travel, because I think it's perfectly valid of Daniel to say that there's no way to change time, right? It's fixed. It's a river, right? It's linear. Fine. Perfectly acceptable way of describing time. But isn't the act of them going back and seeing what happens, observing it, doesn't that trigger the Heisenberg principle of observation changes what you see? Like, that was the thing that bothered me is that I was like, he was like, you can't change anything. But just them being there changes things. So, Or are they ghosts? Okay, so you have to understand that I learned the Heisenberg principle from an engineering point of view, not a physics point of view. And the two are often different. So from an engineering point of view, the Heisenberg uncertainty principle is about observation within a closed system. But he's arguing it's a closed system. I know. That's why I think this works. But I have to tell you that not everybody would agree with this take on it. But in a closed system, so in any scientific experiment, you are trying to close the system, which ultimately means reduction of variables. 
Right. An engineer will tell you the enemy of good engineering is too many variables. When you troubleshoot, you want to eliminate all but one variable because that way, the more constants you have, the less things you have to figure out are broken. Constants. Yes. Just so. <laughs> and so uh, what, the, what the deal here is, is the uncertainty principle says, the more and more I try to reduce the variables, the more I be, may be able to figure out to experiment within a closed system. But life, a nuclear reactor, say, is not a closed system. You can learn how to assess vibration, which is the number one enemy of a nuclear reactor, in a closed system. And you can learn how to figure it out, and you can observe it, and you can see what it does. But then when you get out into a nuclear reactor, it's not as easy. And so what Heisenberg's uncertainty principle is uh, that, that the more that you try to have influence over an occurring phenomenon, the more you will change it. The more you try to control it, you are actually introducing yourself as a variable. It's very, it's contradictory in some ways, but it tends to work out. And, you know, it has applicability in physics. It has applicability in systems of economics. You know, so it's one of those really it has great... pedagogical applicability, honestly. Well, right. It's, it's one of those theories that has scientific and non or social scientific, if you want to say that's what economics is, utility. But the point here is, is that what Daniel is trying to say is that reading, that if we don't go with the flow, we can damage the process. And if we have any hope of getting quote-unquote home or quote-unquote rescued, we can't damage the process. See, I read it as him saying it's useless to try because you can't do it. Oh, no. You definitely but, can. But that's you what read it, no, it as no, that's you can but don't. Well, here's the thing. One, I know how the series plays out. Well, I mean, but fair. Two, he could but, also be lying. I mean. Well, right. No, he is. And I would, and, 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 and I'm telling you, like, of the little I remember from my first watch, this is one of the very specific things I remember, which is knowing for sure that Daniel is lying or not telling the whole truth. Well, yeah, and that makes sense why, why he's so cagey about it. I guess, I guess if time travel was really as fixed as he says it is, it would actually be impossible to time travel. Like, because yes, that's you, why you even being there would change things because of the observation. Well, right. I mean, that's one of the things that Einstein was basically concerned with, the ways in which we can actually move. Right. And of course, as we know, he said, in theory, we could time travel forward if we could ever travel faster than the speed of light, which is, of course, highly unlikely, if not impossible. But his basic observation, which predates quantum physics, is that if time only moves in one direction, you cannot possibly move in the other direction. It's just not possible. It can be fun to think about. But that's it. Oh, yeah. And I'm not trying to like pick this apart because I think that's the enemy of science fiction in general is to pick things apart like this. It's just it seems kind of contradictory what I thought he was saying versus what was happening on the screen. And so I'm glad that we had this conversation because it was kind of bothering me <laughs> that, that a physicist would say you can't change things, but you're also there yeah. at the same time. And I mean, the thing is, if you if you really thought that Faraday was dishonest, you would be rewarded minutes later when he goes to knock on the hatch after telling Sawyer he cannot go knock on the hatch because That's Desmond right. will not know him. That's and right. So, he does do that. And then Daniel immediately goes to the hatch, knocks on the door. Desmond comes out and Desmond does not know him. However, what Faraday tells him is that Desmond is special and the rules of time do not apply to him, which Faraday knows already, but Desmond does not. Is this another Doctor Who thing? Like, you know how Doctor Who talks about how people who are outside of time can remember what happened, even if it doesn't happen, because they're outside of time, like the time travelers. So if you're in the TARDIS, you kind of have like this special yeah. bubble. Is that like what happens to Desmond? Like he's had this break in time already. And so the rules just don't apply to him. If you Because he he's had two time episodes where he's been able to see the future and then where he had the complete break in traveling back and forth through time. Yes. This is more like Vonnegut. 
to talk about gotcha. how it's consciousness that's traveling. You have to be broken out of. You're not just a rule breaker. You have to be broken out of it, which is what the doctor does with his TARDIS. Daniel tells Desmond to find Daniel's mother. But before Daniel is able to tell Desmond his mother's name, the time thing happens again. So we'll we'll pick that up later. Cur- curse the island. Yes. Now let's go to 2005. We're back on the boat. What boat? The one that the Oceanic Six are on and Penny and Desmond and Lapidus. Penny. Lapidus. And Lapidus. My two favorite characters on this show. Lapidus is great in this moment, too. Lapidus, as as we have discussed, is just ready to ride. Yeah, Lapidus is just like, whatever you guys decide, I'll back you up. It's fine. Lapidus, true ally. So, and we don't spend a lot of time here. What we spend time here is for one very specific reason. Jack convinces everyone that the lie is the best thing to do to protect everyone still on the island for Charles Widmore. And everybody agrees except for... Hurley. Good old Hurley. I want to interject here and say that I love that the title of this episode is The Lie and that the lie as a concept keeps coming back up because I literally just did an episode for Antioch's book club on a book called The Truth. And so it seems just kind of funny that I'm doing the truth and the lie. And of course, the big quote from the truth is a lie can run around the world before the truth has got its boots on. Hurley is very insistent. He's done lying. He doesn't want to do this. But he ends up agreeing and says that someday they're going to need his help. and He's going to say no. Which we don't actually see in the episode. Like, I'm waiting for the payoff for this. Oh, no, we saw it. It happened. Cut to the rest of the... 2007 is the last time that we spend time with in these two episodes. Once again, trying to parse this into chronological order. Ben and Jack, after their encounter at the funeral home, are on the same side. And it just feels wrong. Twist. Feels weird. Feels not good. Meanwhile... Someone's trying to take Aaron away from Kate. Who could that someone possibly be? Okay, I did not like this. I did not like this because I'm not a lawyer. I, I want to make that very clear. people may not clear. have been either. I, I want to make that very clear. But I am pretty sure that when you show up at someone's house saying you have a court order to take the DNA of someone's child... Because someone, I, I like how I heard the quotes around court order and child, but not DNA. <laughs> I'm like, which parts of this are you fine with? <laughs> None of it, actually. But like, when you show up at someone's house and you're like, I have a court order to take this child's DNA because someone wants to know if he's really your son or not, I'm pretty sure you actually have to say who is suing to know this information. You, like there, there's no, it, this is like arrow where you had the district attorney being like, there's evidence that he's the green arrow. And when they're like, what evidence? He's like, I'm saving that for trial, which is completely against the rules of discovery. Oh, oh, sweet, sweet summer Tessa. Well, I know again that these two people could just be trying to intimidate her, that there's no person behind it, but like, come there on, if you're going to lie about being lawyers, at least be like, like at least make up a fictional person. Like, you know. Ugh, this bothered me so much. Maybe Charles Whitmore should have hired more convincing actors. Yeah, exactly. Because that's who's behind it. I mean, obviously, I'm just saying, like, come on, man. Could there? Could I've there... watched The Good Fight. Yeah, I know. So surely you could have found at least one person who has watched a legal show to pretend to be a lawyer. And I know what you're thinking. How at this point do I know that Charles Whitmore is behind this? You ask. I mean, he's behind everything. No, you're supposed to ask. How do you know Charles Widmore is behind this? Because he got airport security to detain Sun. Evil Sun. You can tell she's evil because she has bangs now. And wears black suits. What? It's absolutely true. Watch the first two episodes of this season and tell me that she's not evil Sun now. I like this side of her. Now let's skip to the other members of the Oceanic Six. The buddy duo that you never knew you always wanted, Hurley and Saeed. This is great. I loved this. Saeed breaks Hurls out of the nut house, and now they're trying to get away, and 
They order some fast food with some ketchup, and then there's some gunplay, and oh my God, is that blood or ketchup, Tessa? Okay, first of all, this was a great action sequence with Saeed, and it was also kind of like brutal. Like that move where he slams the guy down on the open knives in the dishwasher. Like, damn, Saeed. But then also, he gets hit like three times with sleeper darts, and so he falls over, and Hurley has to get him away from this place. But what I love about this is that Saeed throughout the last season had that like really cool straightened long hair. And then as soon as he's hit with sleeper darts and passes out, suddenly his hair is curly again. It's funny how sleeper darts can do that to someone's hair. I mean, all I got to say is given the humidity of where we live, (laughs) hit me with a sleeper dart, man. If that's going to make my hair look that good again. But then of course, Hurley being Hurley, doesn't understand what's about to happen, and he picks up the gun of one of the people who's come after them, and of course he's covered in blood or ketchup, hard to know, and a lot of people see him holding a gun over a dead body. Come on, Hurley. Okay, before we continue on with that thread, there's one other thing that happens that we are meant to see is happening simultaneous, more or less. Desmond. Oh, Desmond. Desmond's with Penny still. Sweet summer Desmond. They love each other. Oh. They're together. And they've got a happy ending. Oh, wait, no, they don't. Because now that- But now they're together. Because now that Faraday has approached Desmond in the past, this Desmond wakes up because you've got to remember time is happening in two different ways. So until the moment that Desmond is told by Daniel- that he has to find his mom, Desmond in the future doesn't know that he has to find Daniel's mom. But as soon as Des, uh, but as soon as Daniel tells Desmond in the past, Desmond in the future, or from our perspective at this point, Desmond in the present, now wakes up with this knowledge. Does that make any sense to you? No, but that's why time travel doesn't make sense either. Is he like a conduit? Like you can send messages through time through him? Well, so this is the the philosophical concept of something having always already happened. But it did happen. Exactly. Maybe but, he just didn't remember until that moment because he wouldn't have had any sense of context in that moment. I had a I had a professor one time. I wrote always already, which means something very specific to a philosophy major or an English major or potentially others. I just I don't know. Uh, but I remember writing that in a paper and being corrected. I'm like, no, you're wrong. It's not redundant. It means something very specific. And that's what's happening here. Uh, Desmond did not know when he went to bed that he was tasked with finding Daniel's mom. But when he woke up, he had always already known it. I mean, it does make sense from a science fiction point of view, perhaps not from a physics point of view. Would, would you say from a certain point of view? Sure. No, it makes makes sense from a quantum point of view. Right, exactly. And that's where we start. We're starting to blur the lines between different kinds of time travel theory here, which is possibly problematic if you're not just trying to enjoy a show that you love, which is what I was indeed trying to do. So I'd forgive it. So what you're saying is, is that the explanation that Daniel gave Sawyer at the beginning of the episode not at the beginning of the chronological order, just at the beginning of the episode, was basically the equivalent of timey-wimey. Yes. Okay. Jeremy Baramy. My birthday's in the eye. The dot. That, that dot broke me. <laughs> <laughs> I am cheaty. Anyone who has watched the good, the good Place, I am cheaty. She makes really good chili, though. Like, that is, that is, that is a I big I don't put gummy point. bears in my no. cheaty. In my cheeky. <laughs> we also just watched Midsummer this week, oh. so. Hi. You want to be more mad about something than my take on Lost? Midsummer's not a good movie. Holy Anna Lucia, Batman! It's yeah. bloody! Who I mean, did, Anna Lucia. Who did Michelle Rodriguez have to apologize to to get this brief scene on this show? Anna Lucia tells Hurley to get his act together. Slap, slap, slap. Metaphorically. And oh yeah, Libby says hello. More visions. Libby says hello. Yeah, that part. Is it a vision? Is it a vision, Tessa? I don't. Or maybe it really happened. 
I don't like this whole winking at the production stuff. Like it's bad enough that it happened. But I did like so, I did like her appearance though. I I like that Hurley is the one seeing these people who are dead, and I also like that the dead people or the island or both are looking out for Hurley. Like that's kind of yeah. nice. It's nice of the island to be Somebody like. Should. Although although honestly, the Anna Lucia thing it felt like the island being like, "Come on, man, I can't do everything." So Hurley gets his act together by going to a gas station and buying a new shirt, and as he <laughs> drives away. What in the Robert Altman's happening here? Kate passes him in her car as he's driving away. That's it. I just wanted to make the Robert Altman reference. Now we're focused on Kate. Kate gets a call. Who could it possibly be from? Oh, wait, Tessa knows. It's Sun. She knew. I mean, the whole time. It has to be Sun. Sun is her best friend. Even evil Sun is still her best friend. All right, cool. I ship Sun and Kate more than I ship either Jack or Sawyer with Kate. I I could actually get behind that one. But anyway, they have a scene. It's neat. Nothing really happens. Why is there a dead Pakistani man on my couch? Hurley's mom is great. She's great. Uh, and, And of course, we get Cheech back for some real dramatic acting in this episode. I, I mean, like he, is, he is doing a job here. I mean, I, like, everything about Hurley and his family is like the perfect comedic value yes. because like the fact that his dad sits down at the couch with that <laughs> giant sandwich and then the doorbell rings. And he's watching the show. And he's watching the show. Like all of that's perfect. Uh, Hurley telling the story of what happened to his mom is like mm-hmm. the most hilarious version of events. Like the way Hurley's trying to describe it, considering the fact that even Hurley doesn't completely understand what happened. Like... We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, come back, we'll come back to that. Perfect. We'll come back no to that. No notes. Ben shows up. <laughs> Hurley listens to what Saeed told him earlier, and Tessa says no. Oh, so that's what you're saying. Okay, I thought it was because he didn't trust Ben. I oh, didn't he, think it well, had doesn't. anything to do with Saeed and Jack. Uh, because he well, says he they told- don't, they'd never join you. They don't trust you. And then Ben says, in their defense, I'm not an easy person to trust. I mean, it's a twofer right there. Like he told Jack what he was going to do, and he listened to Saeed at the same time. Hurley is always trying to find the right thing to do. No, and I understand it always that. manages to be the wrong thing. <laughs> I understand that. I just don't think that the parallel back to what he said at the beginning of the episode is entirely clear because of Ben's involvement. Well, I mean, one happens at the beginning of the episode and one happens at the end. I mean, fair, but I need more than that. Come on, story writers. I will say, though. That's fair. My favorite part of the episode, the best part of the episode, is Hurley throwing a hot pocket at Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Ben is like, hello, Hurley, and Hurley throws the hot pocket at him and it barely misses him. It's perfect. It is the greatest variation on the throwing the gun. Yes, it is. This is my favorite thing Hurley has ever if done. If he hit him with that hot pocket, he could have had third degree burns to his face, Tessa. It's true. And oh my oh God. Oh my God. It was amazing. It was, I could not stop laughing. I also really like your one sentence review of Lost. Come on, writers. Do a better job. <laughs> I so. mean, there was so much potential in Hurley saying, one day you're going to come to me and I'm not going to help you. And that ending did not live up to that potential. We have one final scene to talk about. Is it the most bonkers scene in Lost history? Nope. It's not even close to the most insane things that will happen over the last two seasons. We're doing cartography and math in a robe with a hood in a church. Okay. This was cool. Uh, this was giving me some real cult vibes. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, I know already know that Ben is a cult leader, sure. but even his cult didn't give me cult vibes like this. And... Like, is she a Sith Lord? Like, what? She might be. Is she just Does that like, make Ben the Apprentice? I'm going to hang Ooh, out. Oh, is it Darth Ben? <laughs> I'm going to hang out in my abandoned is church. Is she Darth Plagueis? Maybe. Is she Mephisto? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Hold out your hand. Hold out your hand. I I just... like. Remember is when she we just did like, all the X-Men? Remember yes. that? That was fun. She's just like, I'm going to hang out in my abandoned church and do math in my in my dark room. And cartography. And cartography. That was pretty cool. I liked the little steampunk uh, cartography machine. I'm just saying that was cool. But yeah, it, also, I don't know, understand why they hit her face. I mean, I know that they did because they were like dramatic reveal, but I'm like, come on, it's just going to be the lady that keeps showing up. Like, 
We and all know was, who it was. And it was the lady who keeps showing up. You're going to love it when you find out who this lady really is. I understand, but it's really funny that she... Okay, so this is where I get the faith thing, because you've been talking about science the whole time. This, to me, felt very much this moment where Ben is like, what happens if I don't get them all back? She is the fates in this moment. Like, she is the person who can see the future and the past and the present. Oh, you're going to love where this is going. Oh, I'm sure I it. will, but my point is is that she's oh supposed she in this moment is a reference to a mythological creature. Like he is coming to the Oracle at Delphi asking for help. And that to me it swings the pendulum all the way back, which is funny because it's a pendulum machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it swings it all the way back to faith for me. It's very interesting because this person has a name. Oh, I'm sure she does. No, and no, I'm no. sure that what I just said will be wrong. I mean, everybody has a name. What I'm saying is she has a name, like Shepard, like Locke, like Faraday. Well, what I think is very interesting is that, and I want you to remember this, this is why I'm making a big deal of it. When you find out what her name actually is, I want you to remember that you referred to her as mythological. Yeah, this was all the way mythological for me. 70 hours or God help us all. Final thoughts, Tessa. That's the first time I've seen that look of horror on Ben's face, which actually felt very comforting to me to know that he's out of his depth on this too, because he has this aura until now. He's had this aura of always being in control. Like even when he's pretended not to be in control, you kind of knew it was a pretense because he's a manipulator. This to me really felt like he is now also just as lost as they are. I'm already very into season five. I'm here for the weirdness. I'm here for the time travel. I'm here for this weird mythological shit. I'm ready. Let's go. Moon's haunted. Just like the first two episodes of season five, this episode's been chaos as well. But wasn't it fun? Until next time, you can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine, and you can find Tessa at the by paradox until next time. Okay. See, we did crash, but it was on this crazy Island and we waited for the rescue and there wasn't any rescue. And there was a smoke monster. And then there were other people on the island. We called them the others. And they started attacking us. And we found some hatches. And there was a button you had to push every 108 minutes or... Well, I was never really clear on that. But (laughs) the others didn't have anything to do with the hatches. That was the Dharma initiative. The others killed them. And now they're trying to kill us. And then we teamed up with the others because some worse people were coming on a freighter. Desmond's girlfriend's father sent them to kill us. So we stole their helicopter and we flew it to their freighter, but it blew up. And we couldn't go back to the island because it disappeared. So then we crashed into the ocean and we floated there for a while until a boat came and picked us up.